Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. We're really uh, glad that you're here today. And I'm excited about what's going to happen in the next uh, couple of weeks as we are launching into this World Vision Partnership. Uh, and particularly this morning as we launch the, the Matthew 25 Challenge. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but World Vision is the largest humanitarian relief uh, organization in the world, delivering clean water uh, to over 4.5 million people around the world and helping raise uh, nearly 800,000 children out of poverty by giving them uh, clean water and education and health care and giving them an opportunity to know Jesus, more importantly, as their eternal Savior. So you and I have an opportunity to play a part in that in whatever limited way that we have. And so for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to learn about what that's like. So let's get started. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, grab your Bible or bring that up on a device and uh, follow along with me. It will not be on the screen uh, due to the length of the passage, uh, but I want to read verses 31 through 46, Matthew chapter 25. Here we go. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. You welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What's interesting about the Bible, and the Bible does say that it is a living, active document. It is a mirror to those who read it, like a scalpel. It cuts between, it separates the attitudes and the intentions. It exposes the true condition of the heart, and so you cannot read it honestly without seeing yourself honestly in the pages that you read. And uh, when you read it, you are genuinely convicted if you are genuinely reading it. And when you read a passage like this, and you read it with an open heart and a, a genuine uh, inc uh, desire to understand what it says, it's hard not to ask the question, which, which one am I? You know, am I a sheep or am I a goat? I'd like to think of myself as a kind, caring, compassionate, generous person, but how many times have I actually missed uh, Jesus in the daily engagement of human need? Uh, this is the last sermon at, at, 
if we know it, uh, recorded, right, the parable uh, that Jesus, the last parable Jesus is recorded as having given uh, before his crucifixion. We call it the parable of the sheep and the goats. Parables uh, are sometimes difficult to understand. Jesus loved to use this teaching device uh, in sharing a spiritual truth. But a lot of times these parables left us with more questions than answers. Uh, the disciples would often come to Jesus after story time and say, Jesus, we didn't get the story. I, we, don't, we don't understand exactly what, he's, what you're saying in this story. And Jesus would have to explain to them uh, the meaning behind the story. Now, this story, on the surface, uh, this parable seems um, not that hard to understand. I mean, uh, I think we know what he's saying, right? The, po- the point seems clear and sobering. Uh, you care about people, you go to heaven. You don't care about people, you go to hell. But, but is that really what, what he's saying? You know, I mean, is it really that kind of black and white? I mean, it's easy to get that impression. The problem is that kind of idea flies in the face of salvation by faith, uh, by grace through faith. Um, I mean, if this parable at face value, it seems like uh, he's saying that the way you get into heaven is by the good things that you do. But is that really what Jesus says elsewhere, one of the basic rules of understanding the Bible is that you have to take the Bible as a whole to understand what the Bible says in part. So there's places in the Bible that say certain things that make us question, and then you've got to understand what the whole Bible says about that particular topic. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. The, the, The gospel is clear. Jesus did for you what you cannot do for yourself, could not do for yourself. You do not deserve it. You cannot earn it. It is a gift received through faith. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait for us to do good things in order to save us. He saved us even in the midst of our bad doing. In fact, there, there are places in the Gospels, maybe you recall this, people came to Jesus and, and claimed to have done good things. Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this, that, and the other in your name? And Jesus uses the same verbiage that he used here. Depart from me. I don't, I don't know who you are. So what is the deal behind this story? Well, uh, one of the clues that might help us understand this parable is something that's not readily noticed uh, in the parable. I'll put, it, I'll put it on the screen in verses 37 through 39. He talks about the righteous people. Um, and then it says, when, when did we... When did we do that? When did we see you, Jesus? When did, verse 38, when did we see you? Verse 39, when did we see you? In all of these situations, and this is a righteous person saying. So the question is, what is a righteous person or who is a righteous person? Are you, are you a righteous person? Uh, the Bible uh, makes a distinction on what we would call positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Stick with me for a moment. We're going to get some uh, theological teaching here uh, that helps us, I think, is crucial uh, to understanding what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. The difference between positional righteousness and practical righteousness, what is that? Well, practical righteousness, the Bible would define a righteous person as one who just simply does right. right? A righteous person is, is somebody that does good things practically. But again, according to the gospel, apart from Jesus, there is no one righteous. You've done good things, but those good things have never been good enough. You can never do enough good things uh, to be considered righteous in the eyes of God. If it's just about doing good things, uh, then you're just, you're practically righteous. But the Bible is clear that you'll never be right enough. On the other hand, 
through faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we have been declared righteous. Or in other words, you've been put in a position of righteousness. Jesus gave you his righteousness. You've been clothed with his righteousness. So God looks at you through the blood of Jesus as a righteous person, regardless of deeds. Regar- regardless of the deeds, uh, you're you are called righteous because of Jesus. You're in a position of righteousness. And what Jesus is saying here is that position of righteousness moves you into practical righteousness. C.S. Lewis Uh, once said, uh, when we get to heaven, we will be surprised on two fronts. We will be surprised by those who are there that we knew for sure wouldn't be there. (laughs) Oh, it's you. Okay. Um, Didn't think I'd see you here. Okay, so uh, we'll be surprised by that. We will also be surprised by those who we knew would be here, but are not. If anybody's going to make it, they're going to make it, right? That's So the sheep in this story, the sheep in this story, or the righteous in this story, is not just someone who does right things. Why do do we know that to be the case, friends? In this story, uh, these righteous people are actually taken by surprise. Did you notice that in the story? They were caught off guard that the king would call out their righteous deeds. These people... Uh, that the king called righteous, had, they, they were totally unaware of having done something that the king would acknowledge and commend. They were mystified by this acknowledgement. We weren't really keeping track. When did we do this? I don't recall the moment. Why, why, now, here's a question. Why would they not be conscious of the right things that they were doing? Why wouldn't they, we keep a list. <laughs> why didn't they, you know, why weren't they conscious of, of their righteous deeds? Well, think of it this way. Um, I can describe to you in detail uh, every trip that I've taken to a foreign country uh, because I don't take very many trips to a foreign country. Uh, It's not usual for me to be uh, traveling to foreign countries. I've done it, uh, but I, I don't do it often, and so I remember all of those trips. Now, I have driven back and forth to work so many times that I could not, I can't distinguish one day from another. Are you with me on that? I mean, we, there, are, there are some things that are so routine to our lives that it's just, it's just a part of us and we don't really even think about it. Uh, I think this is the pivotal point in this story. Friends, the righteousness that were coming out of these righteous people were not a matter of activity. It was a matter of their character. It was a matter of the person that they were. These were not just random acts of kindness that they would want to list. It was, it was a lifestyle that just came natural to them. In other words, righteousness to a righteous person is not what they do. It's, it's who they are. It's not a rare, unusual deed. And therefore, for a righteous person, feeding the hungry and caring for the sick, it doesn't require any particular recognition. It certainly doesn't require any kind of reward. I'm not doing it out of guilt or obligation, nor am I doing it out of, you know, special attention, getting special attention or gaining spiritual points with God, which, which is to say, I mean, which is to say what? Who's, who's the king in this story? Jesus is the king in this story. Jesus, uh, who when we were spiritually under, malnourished, spiritually hungry, spiritually deprived, he fed us. When we were naked, he clothed us with his righteousness. When we were sick, he healed us by his wounds. When we were held captive by sin, he freed us 
by his own sacrifice. You see, this is, this is a parable, a story of gospel transformation. What ha- Jesus is describing men and women who, when changed by the gospel, care for the least of these simply as an outflowing of what the righteousness of Christ has done in their own lives. It's what they do because it's, it's who they are. And here's, a, here's another question before we get into that. Like, why, why, so why didn't they see Jesus in the least of these? Why, why, didn't, they, why didn't they notice? If these are right, positionally righteous people, why, why didn't they notice Jesus in their serving of the needy? I, I want to submit to you that the reason why they didn't see Jesus is because they were overwhelmed at seeing themselves in the least of these. I mean, friends, this is the gospel that transforms us. When you're caring for the needs of others, you realize, I once was hungry and Jesus fed me. I once was lonely and sick and imprisoned and Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I... So therefore, I cannot look at another human being in need and not realize what Jesus did for me in mine. What Jesus is showing us in this story is not what people do to get saved. It's what people do because they are saved. Because they've, been, because they've recognized their need and they've been overwhelmed by the grace and the love of God in their lives. You understand what I'm saying? Why do we do what we do? It's not to gain points or recognition. Friends, we cannot be changed by the gospel without being moved by those in need. Positional righteousness leads us to a lifestyle of caring for those in need. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7 says, the righteous care about justice for the poor. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that address God's attitude and instruction about caring for the least of these. You cannot miss it if you're reading the Bible. All through the Bible, God is characterized as the protector and defender of the vulnerable, those who cannot speak for themselves, fend for themselves, or protect themselves. Some of God's harshest criticism is directed toward those who would ignore the least of these and, or worse, exploit the least of these. And so as we get into the outline, first of all, we need to understand who the least of these are. Who is Jesus talking about when he refers to the least of these? Let me give you three categories. Number one, they're the poor, the poor. Isaiah 58 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? So when the Bible talks about the poor, it's referring to those who are lacking adequate food, clothing, and shelter. Those who, for whatever reason, cannot obtain for themselves the basic necessities of life. Now, we have, we have a portion of our population in this country who are poor, who do not have adequate food, clothing, or shelter. But the larger portion, portion 20% of the world's population under the age of 18, live in this kind of poverty. 700 million people in the world subsist on less than $2 a day to sustain them. One billion people have no access to clean water. One and a half billion people live without electricity. Two and a half billion people have no access to proper sanitation. They are missing the basic necessities of life. The least of these, first and foremost, are the poor. Secondly, they are the oppressed. 
the oppressed. Proverbs 30, 14 says, there are people who take cruel advantage of the poor and the needy. Political and social systems that intentionally keep people poor or dependent, totalitarian governments that control and exploit people. Uh, people experience this all around the world. Something that you and I, friends, we just... We take for granted living in a safe, protected society. We really do. We have, it's nearly impossible for you and I uh, to imagine being forcibly removed from your home because of political or religious violence, wondering if you would ever return home. But this happens every year around the world. Last year alone, 60 million people were displaced worldwide as a result of persecution, conflict, Generalized violence, human rights violations, all kinds of reasons. Today in our world, there are more people held in slavery than at any other point in human history. 30 million people, uh, 26% are children. 22% of those are trapped in forced prostitution. There are 2.4 million victims of human trafficking. 80% of those are women. 50% of those are children. And so the least of these include the oppressed. And then finally, number three, uh, it includes the disadvantaged. Just simply the disadvantaged. Proverbs 31, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Uh, you, ha you just happen to be fortunate enough to be, thank God that you were born in America with all the privileges and opportunities uh, that have been given to you. Just simply, you did not choose that. You did not control that. You just happened to be here. And so there are millions, literally billions of people who have just happened to be born uh, in a geographical or a political or religious or a societal system that has just simply limited their opportunities to pursue a safe and productive life. And because of, because of where they live, 11% uh, of the world's population is undernourished because of famine. 24,000 people die every day from hunger-related diseases. And, and easily preventable diseases. What's so frustrating about uh, these kind of statistics, and, and they're, they're, they're not easy to listen to, but friends, the lack of clean water uh, around the world is the number one preventable cause of death on planet Earth. The lack of clean water, friends, kills more people every year than all the wars and the violence that we hear about on the news every day. More people die from the lack of clean water than anything else. Uh, and with today's technology, here's the, here's, here's the reality, friends. With today's technology, it is possible to bring clean water to any part of the world where those who care about the least of these are willing to go. We have the technology, we have the money, we have the resources, we have the power to fix a very fixable problem. And that's why World Vision is in existence. Uh, that's why uh, we want to come alongside them and play our part in this. That's why today and for the next couple of weeks, we are bringing focus to what you and I can do uh, for the least of these through what World Vision is calling the Matthew 25 Challenge. The Matthew 25 Challenge, before I get into the second half of the uh, outline, uh, I want to draw your attention to the screens and watch this video. And then I'm going to talk about this challenge uh, for a couple of minutes and how you can play a part in that. Watch this video. This is real life. At times, it can feel overwhelming. And you know what? That's okay. Because there's love, too. Jesus' unique invitation is to expand who we include when we think of family. 
It's easy to love your family. It's harder to love people you see around you. It's even harder to love people you've never met in a place you've never been. Hi, my name is Ekai. I'm 12 years old and I live in Kenya. Hi, my name is Ali. I'm 13 years old and I live in Lebanon. Hi, my name is Cheru. I am five years old and I live in Kenya. Imagine the hope we could bring all of us together for the least of these. Okay, so last week we introduced the Matthew 25 challenge and 140 of you uh, opted into this challenge and you didn't even know what you were signing up for. Uh, so today, we're, we're launching this tomorrow morning. Today you have another opportunity to opt into it. Text M25 uh, to the number 44888 and you will get text messages every day this week guiding you through uh, the process and you can do that right now. I, some of you have your phones out already so you know, put it to good use. Uh, text that right now uh, to 44888 and tomorrow you will begin uh, receiving uh, the text that, that engage you in this process. If you're not a texter, there's a card in your seat back that looks like this. Uh, you can pull that out now if you want to too because uh, at the bottom of this card, uh, it gives you the six challenges uh, that you're invited to take uh, through this, uh, this Matthew 25 experience. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the challenge is to skip lunch. Uh, some of you haven't done that for years. Uh, I haven't done it in a very long time. Uh, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'll probably eat supper early. Uh, but when I, uh, when I do, I'm going to eat rice and beans. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, t uh, on Tuesday, uh, I'm going to drink only water. On Wednesday, I'm going to sleep on the floor. That's going to be fun. Um, but here's, here's, here's the thing, friends. This is so minimal. This is, this is, so, this is so minor. But the, all, of these, all of these experiences just give you a simple taste in one day of what billions of people experience every day of their lives. Every, every, every day of their lives. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to be posting our, uh, don't skip a day on this uh, experience. We're going to be posting this on social media. We're going to ask you uh, to engage with us on this experience. If you have a family, Grace Kids is talking about this uh, with your children today. And so uh, if you have a family and you opt in uh, to Matthew 25 on, on the text, if you give them, there's a space that you can give them your email address, and if you do that, they will give you a, a family guide uh, that will help you engage your children in this process. You can do it together as a family. And so this week uh, is the challenge for the next six days. Uh, we're going to come back next Sunday and celebrate this in a special way. But this Saturday culminates uh, the challenge, and we're doing it uh, two different ways. Um, if, you'll see, if you'll look on the card, Saturday is challenging you to take a 30-minute prayer walk there's something else going on next Saturday, and that is the Monumental Marathon in Indianapolis where 25 of us uh, are running either 13.1 or 22.6 miles uh, for clean water. And so I was thinking about this. Uh, it takes me a, a, a good two hours uh, to run 13 miles. So I thought I'd challenge you. You can either run with me for two hours or you can walk for 30 minutes. Okay. So you choose. Um, but uh, I just, I just want to challenge you to do this. 
uh, again, it just gives us a, a minor taste of what people go through uh, every day of their lives. Next Sunday, we're going to come back and we're going to celebrate the challenge by taking the next step. So you're not going to want to miss next Sunday because uh, there's, there's going to be an announcement next Sunday um, in addition to this. And then the Sunday after that, November 17th, we have another announcement that we're going to make on that Sunday. So for the next three weeks, we are engaging in caring for the least of these in a very practical way. Now let's get back to the teaching, to the outline. Here's the question. Why, why do we care about this? Why are we talking about this? Why are we bringing this up? Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Would you say that with me? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In Matthew 25, Jesus is not just teaching us who to care for and how to care for them. He's telling us why to care for them. And it's found in the very thing that he called them. What did, what did he call them? Now, be careful because this is kind of a trick question. What did he call them? Well, he called them the least of these, right? Well, no, not actually. I'll put, it, I'll put it back on the screen. He says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, what? My brothers, my brothers. See, this is the challenge. This is the challenge. As long as I can call them the least of these, or I can call them those people, or I can call them people on the other side of the world. Whatever term we want to use uh, to describe people that we do not know, we keep them as strangers and we keep them detached. And we separate the connection, which minimizes the obligation and the responsibility. Jesus said, this is family. These people are my, my brothers. The, Jesus, Jesus has said, you and, I, you and I both know this. That if that little girl in the video that you saw at the beginning of that message was our daughter, this would be no challenge. We would move heaven and earth to make sure that that little girl got what she deserved. <laughs> Adequate food, clothing, and shelter. Why do we care? Let me give you three reasons. The first one is the character of God. Friends, we have been created by a God who loves us. For the Lord God defends the cause of the fatherless, fatherless and the widow and, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. God is love, so therefore we are compassionate. God is mercy. God is mercy, so we are kind. God is just, and so we treat people fairly and equitably. God is the protector and defender of the poor, the oppressed, and the disadvantaged. And so we care because it is in God's nature to care. We are created in the, in the image of a God who cares, and we best reflect that image when we care. God's character. Number two, human dignity. Friends, we care because we are created in the image of a God who cares, but we care because everyone who is created in that image deserves to be cared for. Nothing, friends, nothing else in creation has the capacity to connect with God, relate to God, to know God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to worship God. From the moment of one's conception to their last breath on earth, from the womb to the tomb, everyone is worthy of respect and dignity. So therefore, everyone is deserving. Deserving, think of that word deserving. Is that not the most abused word in our society today? We have convinced ourselves that we deserve everything. You know, I deserve a break today. I deserve good phone service. I deserve, you know, what, whatever it is that the TV is selling us, they have convinced us that this is not a luxury or a comfort. This is something that you actually deserve. Um, 
So we have in our culture equated food, clothing, and shelter with comfort and luxury. These are just things that we deserve. So no, no, there are things we do not deserve. But everyone created in the image of God deserves to sleep indoors. Would you agree? Everyone who bears, reflects the image of God in their being deserves not to go to bed hungry. Everyone, everyone who reflects the image of God deserves to drink water that will not make them sick or kill them. Every human being created in the image of God deserves adequate food, clothing, and shelter. We care because of human dignity. And here's the last reason. It always comes back to the gospel. We care because Jesus cared for us. Same, uh, James chapter 2 says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Now, what is, what is the law that gives freedom? It is love. This is, this is the essence of the gospel. Loving God, loving your neighbor, God loving you. These verses, uh, these verses are couched in a passage, passage where James talks about uh, the hands-on evidence of gospel living. How do I know that I believe the gospel? Uh, he says in this passage, faith without works is dead. Have you heard that before? Faith without works is dead. It's exactly what Jesus was teaching in the parable of the sheep and goats. You are saved by faith. It has nothing to do with the good works that you're doing. However, the faith that saves is, is evidenced in the things that you do for the least of these. You are saved by faith, not by works, but the faith that saves works. This is a positional righteousness that works itself out in practical righteousness, caring for the least of these. James said it in his book, true religion is to look after the widows and the orphans to care for the least of these. This is the result of the gospel operating in the life of a believer. It shows that you get it. It shows that you understand grace. That It shows that you've experienced the grace of God in your life. I'll say it again, friends. You cannot be moved by the grace of God and unmoved by the needs of your world. You just, you just simply can't. Jesus came to rescue us out of our need. And serving the least of these is a natural outflow, overflow of men and women who have been transformed by that rescue. I just, I just don't want to stand in front of Jesus uh, and, and have to admit that I, I missed the opportunity that he gave me. That somehow in my pursuit of comfort and convenience, I ignored the opportunities in front of me to live out the gospel in a very practical and doable way. So, so with that, I just want to, again, encourage you uh, to take part in the Matthew 25 challenge. Uh, this Saturday, we have runners uh, running for clean water, and you can support. It's not too late to support one of those runners. In fact, I put it on the sermon notes at the bottom, how you can go to the website and find our team and find our runners and how you can support financially our runners. Pray for our runners. Let me say something about the runners before we close. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about the runners because, uh, you know, some of us don't like to run. <laughs> um, some of us don't like to train for running, and that's, not, that's why we're not running. And I've, I've been looking at the weather for the last couple of days. It's going to be really, really cold this coming Saturday. Uh, and, I, and I don't do cold. Some, some of us, uh, why, why, would, why would people run you know, for this? Most, there's going to be 30,000 other runners in Indianapolis who are fanatic about running. They're, they can't wait for the cold to get into that and to run. But here's the thing about World Vision runners. They don't run to run. They don't get, it, they don't get into it just for that physical adrenaline high. In fact, actually, we're not a group of runners. 
we're a group of Jesus followers who think clean water is worth running for. And that's why we run. So you can, you can support us in that running. Uh, you, can, you can do the prayer walk while we're doing the, the, the running. You know, uh, uh, We all believe that every child deserves adequate food, clothing, and shelter. So whatever part we can play in that, uh, they are worthy of our support to pray and to love and to care for the least of these. So I can't wait to see what God is going to do in the life of this church for the next couple of weeks. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you rescued us, uh, that you found us and loved us and lifted us out of our nakedness and hunger and sickness and loneliness. Thank you for breaking the chains of sin and setting us free. And may that awareness so move us that whatever opportunities you set before us, uh, we would not be so tied to our comfort and convenience that we would not step out and to love the least of these in, the, in any way that we can. Father, bless our efforts and our journey together as we pursue this challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.